Hey, welcome to the Healthy Postnatal Willy Podcast with your postnatal expert Peter Lapp. That, as always, will be me. This is the podcast for the 25th of June, 2023. A date before music means I have a guest on. And I am talking, for you lucky people, to Dr. Sheila Carroll. Um, we're talking weight and health management for kids it's, uh, and how it's about leading by example. Dr. Carroll is a board-certified pediatrician and obesity medicine physician who basically works exclusively with parents who are willing to focus on modifying their own behaviors to ultimately improve their child's health. I love this approach. You know, quite regularly, if child is a bit overweight, the, you go to your GP and GP says, yeah, your kid needs to eat less. And they don't focus on the parents at all. And Dr. Carroll takes a completely different and much more child-friendly approach, I would argue, that says, no, we change the parents' behavior and the kids will pick up on that. And how, so we're talking about that, how to get your kids on board for changing your own behavior, what changes you should probably be making, uh, how your child does not need to see a doctor when you're concerned about their weight, because you and your partner will already do it, how modern society is geared towards unhealthy children, how you can help, and all that sort of fun stuff. So we'll get straight into it. This is a phenomenal conversation. And you might want to change one or two behaviors after this. You never know, right? She'll tell you how to do it. So without further ado, here we go. So weight management for kids, quite a touchy little subject in a lot of corners in the world. But why is it important? Um, (laughs) Weight management for kids is super important because weight management in a a much bigger and much uh, broader sense is more like health management. Mm -hmm. So weight is kind of a marker of health and it's not so honestly we don't it's just a number on a scale it's your gravitational pull on the earth that particular moment and so we're not ever trying to get a kid to a certain number Mm -hmm. but what we're really looking looking for is you know we have these kids they are going to be 70 someday 80 someday 90 we want them to have the health the, and so to have a long lifespan and a long health span. Mm-hmm. So we have to start focusing on their health habits now. And if they are struggling with extra weight as kids, there's probably something that's going on in their what they're doing, either their nutrition or their sleep, the amount they move or exercise, their emotional regulation skills. Um, so there's just usually something, those are like lifestyle factors that we could, parents could look at and drill down on to really help the child, um, you know, up level, whatever they think is the problem is. Mm. Yeah. Cause, cause that's an interesting one. Cause you know, I, I, I can almost hear the, the rattling of angry keyboards. Uh, as, as soon as as soon as you mentioned weight management for kids, we're not talking crash dieting for kids. Exactly. Yeah, right? it is a very sensitive 
It is a very sensitive topic for sure. And, you know, that's because of the way historically we've always talked about weight mm-hmm. and shamed people for being overweight. I, I was an overweight kid. Um, I, I, uh, weighed more than I wanted to what by the time I was nine or 10. And I, I've been overweight most of my adult life. Mm-hmm. And so I know, I know how bad it feels to have people talk about your weight in front of you or, you know, as a kid, um, trying to make some changes, um, trying to fit in better, you know, all of the mm-hmm. things. It's very, very, it can be very sensitive. Um, and for parents, it's also very sensitive because you don't want to see your child upset, mm-hmm. you know, and you don't want them feeling badly about themselves. And so that's, if we change the focus from weight to health, mm-hmm. it somehow it just takes away the it takes away the stigma and the shame of of making a choice. Mm-hmm. Oh, we're choosing to eat this food because it's going to improve our health. Yeah. Versus choosing, you know, we're choosing to not eat that food because we want our weight to go down. It's so different. Yeah, and that's that's a really really big uh, change in 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 mindset, uh, and also I suppose because for a lot of people, of course, dieting is associated with deprivation and all that, as in with depriving someone of of something, and that's always difficult to do to kids, right? Um, so when we're talking health, because I, I I usually tell people when when I deal with Clients that come to me that want to lose a bit of weight, I usually say, listen, well, we're going to make healthy choices and the weight will come, right? The weight mm-hmm. catches up if you yeah. if you sleep as well as you can. And, you know, you eat more fruit and veg compared to processed foods and, and, and all mm-hmm. that sort of stuff. Now, I suppose that the tricky thing for you, of course, is then getting people on board and getting the child on board with any changes that you have to make. So how do you help kids make a lifestyle change? Because, you know, I don't know, because it's difficult enough for an adult to make them. So here's my approach, which is different. You know, I've been, I'm a pediatrician um, and I've been a doctor for uh, more than 20 years here in the U.S. Um, And for years and years, I, you know, tried to help kids make changes. Parents bring their kid to the doctor and, you know, you kind of talk with the child and briefly talk with the parents. And I can tell you 100% that that almost never works. Mm. And the reason why is because the kids don't have the mature uh, brain, like your prefrontal cortex, your thinking part of your brain. The kids just are too immature, which they're they're supposed to be, they're kids, right? So, you know, so here's the thing. If the parents know what to do and the parents do it themselves, frankly, you could leave your child completely out of this and just make changes yourself and just uh, as the parent and also get to the place in your mind where like, I think eating healthy is important for us. Kind of like I think wearing a seatbelt in the car is important for us. I think, you know, not having my, I have an 11 year old son, you know, not having my son 
have a beer is important for his health <laughs> at this point. You know, so if you, if parents can get to that place and find a way of eating, a, a lifestyle, a way of moving as a family, you know, once the kids see their parents doing all of these things, first of all, and modeling the behaviors they want their child to have, it's much easier for the kid to do it. The kid will realize it's just part of their life, their family values, it's mm -hmm. part of their health. Um, and then like you said, naturally over time, the kid will, you know, the kids, the child's health will improve mm -hmm. because the parents are so committed to, it, it's not like, okay, for the next 60 days, we are going to, you know, bite the bullet and white knuckle it. No, <laughs> yeah. it is, it is, it can be even small, you know, honestly, it's small changes that build up over time, mm. you know? So, yeah, yeah so the, my approach is working with the parents and working with the parents only, and right. we can just leave, leave your children out of it. Yeah, I suppose that's a lot easier, isn't it? Because it's, I'm a big fan of the monkey see, monkey do uh, approach, right? It's I'm a big fan of that whole if if your kids see your see you exercising, and I I've seen this through the last ten plus years. If the mom and dad exercise, the kids will become more active because they want to join in on the sessions. Yeah. I can't tell you how many sessions I've done with with postpartum moms. You can't keep a toddler away from a mom <laughs> who's exercising. They want to do the squats. They want to do the lunges right. and all sort of stuff. Um, and I suppose. By using your approach and by leaving the child out of the discussion, you're not doing the finger pointing thing as much. That, that does tend to happen. I've seen that happen within the NHS in the UK. Kid goes to the GP or parents take the child to the GP uh, and they say it's a bit overweight. Yeah, you need to lose a bit of weight. Um, and that's a difficult one because then you're putting the onus on the child to do something and that the parent doesn't necessarily maybe need to do themselves or want to do themselves. And they just, the focus becomes on the child. It's easier for the parent as well to make changes if they themselves are feeling responsible for that stuff, isn't it? Yeah, when that happens, you know, the child doesn't feel good and the parent doesn't feel good. You yeah. know, so when when we tell a child they need to lose weight, you know, that's that's not a not really the correct message yeah in, in my opinion yeah so now of course you, so you get the buy-in from the parents and there's mm. going to be there's going to be some struggles right um let's be honest it's it's nicer to sit on the sofa and play playstation 5 than it is to go out for a walk when it's not necessarily the best weather in the world actually it's always nicer to play ps5 um and it's nicer to have pizza instead of carrots. It 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 just is, especially if, like you said, the prefrontal cortex isn't isn't developed yet, and the child's brain just goes, "Give me more fat, give me more sugar," because yeah. that's the tasty stuff. Uh, so, do you then prepare the parents? Like, listen, this journey will not necessarily be easy, but here are some tips on the, how you can actually do it. Yeah. Yes, 100%. I think we need to understand, honestly, in the world that we're living in 2023, keep it protecting and preserving and keeping your good health. It's not easy. It, mm -hmm. it takes effort. 
you know, with all the screens, with all the processed foods, all, you know, the way our life is, you know, kind of, uh, it's not really set up for great sleep. We mm -hmm. are not very good at managing our stress. <laughs> all of the things that are going to keep us healthy, it takes effort. Mm. And um, so, yes, tell the parents like it is, it can be simple, but that doesn't mean it's like effort free, right? Yeah. You know, it's kind of simple what to do. And we all know, most parents know kind of that it's better to go for a walk than to mm. you know, play your video game all the time. But like you said, it's challenging. It's how do we actually make that happen? Um, number one, how do we make that in our minds as the parent? How do we get con convinced that that's really what we want to do? And then how do we help our kids uh, understand that too? And how do we not fight about it all the time? And how does this not turn into a complete disaster? You know, because there's no point in being like super healthy if you're all miserable. <laughs> oh, no, absolutely. Yeah, no, that's absolutely true. And and it is quite often, I, I see this with, with a lot of, of my clients who want their children to be more active. And the kids are active in school, but they themselves, okay, you can also train with Peter for a little bit and do bits and pieces. The children never really want to because they've got other stuff to do, right? Mm -hmm. They they don't. They, they some kids are really into sports and some kids are really into. But let's be honest, those are probably not the kids that you're seeing, right? The I find that when kids who are say unhealthy, whether it's lack of sleep or whether it's overweight or whatever, by the time they are eight, a lot of lifestyle habits have already crept in. And, you know, these are, they tend not to be, they might well like football, but they prefer to watch it instead of play it. That, that, that is the type of thing. So how do you, as a parent, get the child's buy-in to make those changes? How do you convince, uh, what tips do you give to the parents as in this is the way you're most likely to get some buy-in from your kids? Well... Uh, you know, f with regards to like, um, I, I think you don't, we don't necessarily, our kids will buy in over time. Sure. I think this is, this is the time where you are the parent, you are the role model, you are the guide, you are, you know, we don't need our kids buy in to that they have to go to school. Right. Yeah. That is not up for discussion every single day. It, <laughs> yeah. it sometimes is at my house, yeah. but, <laughs> you know, but the, we, we do this on so many levels already, mm. but when parents really decide what their core values are, okay, health is a core value for our family spending time mm -hmm. together, whatever, w figure it out and work. You know, that's what I help my clients do. But, you know, then you are, the parent is living that lifestyle Mm. And, and the child is is kind of following along because he's yeah. a member of the family, right? So I think signing your child up for what well, we call it soccer, you guys call it yeah. football. <laughs> um, signing them up for something like that is amazing. What a wonderful gift to give your mm -hmm. gift give your kids. I think what helps what helps kids and and you know. Kids age, obviously, so every developmental stage they go through, they're going to have a slightly 
better understanding of things or deeper yeah. understanding of things. But it's good for parents to really understand why does my kid like video games more than mm -hmm. getting outside? Why does my kid like pizza or these high sugar foods, ultra processed foods more than, you know, an apple or vegetables? Mm -hmm. And, and that you have to understand a little bit of brain science and you have to understand that what is, so we are very, very ancient human body. Mm -hmm. yeah. We, you know, evolved over the millions of years and it's only been the last 50 or 60 years that we have this current ultra processed food environment mm -hmm. where we're getting huge loads, concentrated source of sugar and flour, which is creating a very large dopamine response in mm -hmm. our brains. Oh my gosh, we love it, right? Yeah. They, it tastes good. So and makes me feel good when I mm -hmm. eat that. And that evolutionarily, that's what's kept us alive for so long. So of course, our kids love you know, my kid loves Doritos or Sour Patch Kids or whatever, <laughs> you know, I just when he's eating those, I look at him like, yep, of course he does. He's his he's mm -hmm. wired. He's wired like that to survive like that. Mm -hmm. The other thing I wanted to say for parents, you know, is how a child, um, how easy it is for one child to gain weight is very different than how easy it is for another child to gain weight. Oh, Meaning sure. some kids gain weight a lot more easily than other kids. Mm -hmm. I just think that's important for parents to know because if you happen to have a child that's easily gains weight, first of all, there's nothing wrong with your child and there's nothing wrong with you as the parent. Mm -hmm. You just happen to be, frankly, you probably would have survived really well, you know, 200 years ago, if you are good at storing extra energy and storing mm -hmm. extra calories and, and um, you, you were, you had a survival advantage. So, um, so I think it's important to know, and the same thing with video games, these video games are designed to just give us this dopamine hit. I mean, honestly, they mm -hmm. just, you know, they have so many genius gamer game guys like figuring out how to keep people interested yeah. so understand that it's your kid is is coming by it very honestly why mm. they love junk food and why they love video games and that their brain can't override them they're still living in this like it tastes good i want it mm -hmm. it feels good to play video games i want to do it but that's where adults step in with our mature prefrontal cortex. And we say, yeah, we understand that it feels good to eat that food and feels good to play video games. But we know it's not the best thing for us. So we are going to actively override those very primitive you know, responses. And here's what we're going to do. <laughs> yeah. And we just have to see, this is the thing. Kids can't do that, mm -hmm. but adults can do it. And that's how adults, that's how adults get healthy, stay healthy, lose weight, go to bed on time, you know, change mm -hmm. any habit that they want. Yeah. No, no, that's a very, very good point. I, yeah. Cause the reason I asked about kids buying is for exactly that reason. I see a lot more, let's say, discussion between parents and children these days ah. than I had when I grew up. 
And I'm 40 years old, eight years old. So I'm very much of the generation. Now, this is what you're getting for dinner. Right. This is, you're not going to have a choice. This is what you're getting. Um, No, I don't want it. Fine. Then you'll have it for breakfast tomorrow. Right. It's going to, this is going to be finished. You're not getting anything else. There is no, you know, I, I, I watch a lot of, I watch a lot of these programs with my wife and one of them in the UK is called Eat Well for Less. Usually about families of five or six people that spend an absolute fortune on food every week. As in three, four, five hundred pounds, so like four or five hundred dollars a week on food shop alone for a family of four or five. Insane amount. And in almost all these cases, these families are not eating the same food. So mom, quite often mom cooks for two or three different meals because child A wants X and child B wants Y and child Z. And almost in all these cases, they all come to the conclusion that at the end of the week, when because they, they changed, you know, how these programs work, they change the food about and all of a sudden everybody eats the same food. At the end of the week, everybody sits down for at least three or four meals together because that is what you do. And therefore you you kind of take the kid's choice away. An eight-year-old doesn't need to have a completely separate meal from a five-year-old or a 15-year-old, right? They can eat the same type of stuff. But a lot of the discussions had around the UK, at least, and I'm guessing America as well, there's a lot of of debating that happens now between the, the parents and the children about what the child wants versus what the child needs and and you know kids are brutal these days kids are just i'm not going to eat it and they're they're tougher than i am <laughs> than, than, than 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 i used to be uh, they can hold out for longer uh yeah. maybe but fundamentally it comes down to that it doesn't it it is kind of still a little bit yeah, dude this is this is my house my rules yeah there's a wonderful um strategy for feeding kids it's co- and feeding families and it's called the division of responsibility and mm-hmm. it was created you know many decades ago by a nutritionist um named Ellen Satter and it's it basically just breaks down the uh the roles with regards to meals and food mm-hmm. and so the parent's job is to decide what foods are going to be served where they're going to be served and when. So right. what, where, and when, mm-hmm. that's the parent's job. And the child's job is if they're going to eat and how much. Right. Child mm-hmm. doesn't decide what they're going to eat. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I love thinking about, I love that approach to food. Now, of course, you you know, we want our kids to eat and we, you know, we don't want to be necessarily serving them only things that we know that they hate or that mm-hmm. they refuse because just like us, just like adults, like just like grownups, there's food I legitimately don't like. I don't like the taste of, of right? yeah. however, you know, I, there's a lot of kids today who don't eat any vegetables. Yeah. Um, I was looking at this statistic, but and it's from pre pandemic 2019, um, in this article, in this journal article, saying that sixty in America, sixty-seven percent of a child's daily energy intake, so their calories, is from ultra-processed foods. Yeah, yeah, I've seen that. Whoa! So you know, <laughs> yeah, it's insane. And the thing is, you know, um, 
I think too, another tip for parents is when your child is saying, well, I don't like that. I don't like that. I don't like that. I think part of what's going on is the taste of things. Mm -hmm. They're used to things that are tasting sweeter. (laughs) And, and And it may not, it may even like, um, chicken, if you buy, you know, chicken nuggets, Oh, sure. They taste completely different. From, they taste yeah. completely different. And if you, you might, you might be like, what, where would they, why would my kid eat chicken nuggets, but he won't eat chicken? Mm. Well, if you look at the ingredient list of the nuggets, there's probably several different kinds of sugar yeah. added in there. So I think a lot of what kids are really, they, they legitimately feel like they don't like the taste of it, but what it really is, is they're, it tastes different to them and it's not as sweet and it's not giving them as big a dopamine hit. But the good news is our taste buds turn over like every 14 mm-hmm. days. And so if we decrease some of the added sugars, decrease some of the processed foods over time, our kids will, our kids taste buds, buds will adjust. Yeah. Cause then that is something that I always point out to, to adults in, in that three weeks, just go cut out sugar three weeks and all of a sudden a strawberry will taste a lot nicer than it currently yeah, does exactly. um, because you'll get natural fruit sugars will all of a sudden be sweet enough to actually satis- well, satisfy your needs. One of my clients only bakes with natural fruit sugars and her cakes honestly gold are amazing compared to most store-bought stuff or even most professional baker stuff because it's not too sweet for me I don't mm-hmm. tend to have a ridiculous amount of sugar in my day-to-day life other than fruit and therefore when I go out and if I have a piece of cake or a biscuit, it's almost always too much. I have two right. bites and then I'm like, oh, dude, I can't, I, I can't eat this stuff because I'm not used to it. Um, yeah. But like you said, kids are very much of the, and indeed, like you very rightly pointed out, parents are fighting a billion dollar industry when it comes yeah. to gaming, when it comes to social media when it comes to food producers and, and all that sort of stuff. Like the, the, all these things are designed for people to want more, buy more and, and all that sort of stuff because that's how they make the money, right? Um, so it's interesting when you talk about the division of responsibility because I've not come across this. I will link to this in the podcast uh, description for, for listeners. But it's interesting that you say the child then determines how much they eat because that is... A very interesting point. I find that most parents, and this is not blaming because in my house this is exactly the same way, everybody gets the same amount. Right? Otherwise, it's not fair. Right? That is the old fairness principle. Uh, as in, if I buy a pizza, then I give my wife half of the pizza and I have half of the pizza. Otherwise, it would not be fair. We don't take into account at all that my my lovely wife is five foot four and I'm six foot four and I'm a personal trainer and she isn't and I'm a boy and she isn't and therefore our calorie needs are completely and colossally different. But we raise kids quite often with the and I've seen this in in in, in clients and parents with the they get the same amount. So a five year old gets the same amount of food as an eight year old does. And then we tell them to finish what's on their plate. Right. Yeah. So we're we're encouraging them to override their hunger cues. Yeah. 
So that's the thing too. That's one of the problems with processed foods is that you can't. They it, eating processed foods makes it much harder to actually figure out in your body when you've had enough. Yeah. So what we really want our kids to do is to eat when they're physically hungry. Mm-hmm. Not when they're bored or sad or they smell popcorn and they, oh, they want them now, you know, or yeah. they see something and they want. To. So we need to learn how to eat when we're physically hungry and stop when we've had, when we're at enough. Mm. So we don't want to be telling our kids to, or pressuring our kids to take two more bites. Even if it's two more bites of vegetables, yeah. it's let your child you know, let your child decide how much they're going to eat. Mm. So this division of responsibility, you know, was uh, created or, you know, published um, decades ago, like I said. So in a way, I have a little additional, I like the division of responsibility. But for example, if you decide to have pizza and you let your child decide (laughs) how much they're going to eat, then you're going to eat a lot of pizza. So I think the division of responsibility was really created with whole foods, (laughs) real whole unprocessed foods in mind. So, Mm -hmm. you know, for example, if you put potato chips or something on your table and and you're going to subscribe to that division of responsibility, Mm -hmm. you're going to understand that, you know, your kid is going to want to eat all of them, of course, course. you know. So, but if you know, you know, we notice like, well, most kids are not overeating carrots or they're not overeating protein or they're overeating the processed foods. So I love the division of responsibility. And then I just add in, you know, I think there is a role for boundaries around ultra processed foods, you know, like, oh, we're going to have, you know, this. Yeah. So, yeah, because that comes back to the the parents' responsibility of we decide what we're eating, right? So so we don't have too much of it in the house. And therefore, by definition, you're not going to have, you're not going to have a large Domino's pizza when you're 12 years old. You just kind of shouldn't. Um, I hope everybody knows and that's the thing. I assume everybody listening to this kind of knows that's the thing because I've been hammering that point home long enough. Um, It's, so... What do you then do when, because a lot of kids are what they call these days picky eaters. Again, I don't think it was a thing when when, when I yeah. grew up. Yeah. Um, but what approach do you like to then take? Or do you just say, listen, you, you just have them, you just stick at it, and sooner or later they will come around because their taste buds change? Well, that's yes, I think that's called exposures. So, mm-hmm. you know, the more time your child, the more times your child is exposed to a food, say, for example, you know, you try something, you know, even if it's not new cucumbers, and your child refuses cucumbers. Mm-hmm. Okay, so um, if you put if you put cucumbers on the table, or on their plate, that's considered, you know, an exposure. Okay. If, if they refuse to eat, they say it takes, you know, north of 15 to 17 times sometimes for a child to be willing to try something, but going shopping and having Mm -hmm. your child, Hey, could you run over and grab me a cucumber? Like that's an exposure. They're touching it. They're holding it They're Okay. Then you, you know, you talk about like, where do cucumbers come from? So you kind of just try to expose them to Mm -hmm. to new things. Um, And at the same time, you don't pressure them and don't give up, I guess is the message. Um, And, 
there's, there probably is going to be a little bit of food waste. Um, hopefully not too much, but you can just put small yeah. pieces on their plate, micro portions even. Um, one big thing I think that helps with parents who feel like their kids are picky eaters is to make sure your child is coming to the table, coming to a meal, actually hungry. So stop. Mm. Snack. Kids today snack a lot yeah. and they graze or they, you know, and, um, and if you can have your child come to the table hungry, probably not having eaten anything at least an hour, but maybe an mm-hmm. hour and a half uh, before dinner, and then you lead dinner with your healthiest foods, like if you put the protein and you put the vegetables and fruit on the table first, before you put the pasta, before you put mm-hmm. the bread or whatever, they're going to be, they're hungry. So they're going to be, and the food will taste better to them versus if yeah. they've, you know, coming to the table kind of partly hungry and I can take it or leave it. It's going to be so much easier to just leave it at that point. But there's lots of ticks, tr- tips and tricks that parents can um, not try to trick their child. That's not what I'm saying. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, no, <laughs> no, but but no, you're absolutely right. It's it's the and I love doing this because it drives everybody absolutely up the wall when I do it. It's like me with the dogs, right? So I've got three little dogs, and if I if I feed them treats all day, they're not going to want their dinner because they they just had treats, and that is just how it works. So if I want them to eat healthy and I want them to lose a bit of weight or anything of that sort of stuff, I just have them have their proper dinner, and I don't give them too much during the day so that indeed at the end of the day they're hungry they will eat what i put in front of them they just will not eat what i put in front of them if i've given them better stuff all day yeah uh, exactly and and most snacks like what you were saying kids snack a lot these days but they snack on different things and again this is my old man brain my 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 boomer talk happening it's we didn't have biscuits or crisps or anything like that when i came home after school now it just wasn't a thing it it it, it didn't exist we didn't have uh no one of my uh one of my clients kids comes home and he has chocolate covered rice crackers or or, or whatever they are um and that, that is i mean these things are these things are fine but it does mean that an hour later he will spend the best part of an hour and a half looking at his plate of food yeah. uh because he's yeah you know, it's it's not something. It doesn't even matter what you put in front of them. It's not going to be as exciting as chocolate-covered something or other. Yeah, with the rise of snack foods in the seventies and eighties, mm-hmm. that's when childhood overweight and obesity. That's when those graphs started to go way up. Mm. Kids used to eat breakfast, lunch, and dinner. Yeah, you know, and it's in a it's a form of like intermittent fasting for kids. Right. Like, if you you know, breakfast, lunch and dinner and we did it and they didn't snack all day long because Mm -hmm. it wasn't the culture. Now you go to, you know, your child, my son would go to school and okay, here's a snack time. Then lunch, then snack, then and that that happens as early as, you know, in daycares. And and so we're basically teaching our kids that they need to eat all the time. Mm. And the other problem with the snacking is that just like you said, the foods that we're offering them, snack foods, are are usually not the healthiest nutrient dense foods. Yeah. They they have a lot of added sugars. Mm-hmm. Um, so my recommendation for parents is try to cut back 
on the number of snacking events your child is doing, actually get them to tune into their physical hunger. Like my son says, can I have a snack? And I'm like, okay, you know, there's, mm -hmm. we have chicken or, you know, turkey, cheese roll. And he's like, oh, I don't want, I'm not, I'm not hungry for that. You know, I don't want that. Yeah. I don't want that snack. I want, you yeah. know, and so there, there's like a red, you know, oh, for parents, light bulb. They're not physically mm -hmm. hungry. They're either bored or uh, just like us, just like, just mm -hmm. like adults. Like if I know I have something in the in the refrigerator or something in the pantry downstairs, my brain will be like, oh, you should go mm -hmm. eat that. <laughs> yeah. Oh, you know? Yeah. Exactly. And the amount of times everybody has this moment where you stand in front of a full fridge and there's, yeah, there's nothing to eat. Yeah. Right? There's nothing in my house. Now, there's loads of stuff in your house. There's just nothing you want to eat because, hey, you're not really hungry or – yeah, you're not you're, really you're craving, you're craving yeah. something else or you can't be bothered or you're, you know, whatever. Um, and so when parents learn to tolerate that urge or that mm -hmm. craving, when you learn to urge surf or there's so many different techniques to do yeah. that, watch it come, oh, feel it, let it go through your body. Then you can teach your child that as they mm -hmm. age appropriately. It's very hard for, obviously, a five-year-old to do that. But, you know, <laughs> over time, your teenager, you know, my son's getting the hang of it. He's 11. And teenagers for sure. And what is what is awesome skill to realize, like, oh, that was just my brain offering me I should go eat something. Mm -hmm. I don't actually need anything right now, you know? Yeah, we have probably. to understand how our primitive body in the world that we live mm -hmm. in today. So that's that's the important thing I think that was like so eye opening for me, even as a doctor of like decades. Like mm -hmm. I didn't really put those two things together until you know a, a bunch of years ago. I'm like oh, it's it's our bodies just weren't designed. Our bodies are designed mm -hmm. amazingly. Yeah. The culture that we've designed, oh, the, this is the clash. Yeah. This is the clash we're having. But we can rise above it and still enjoy our life and still have fun and, in fact, be even healthier and create, you know, our, a life for our kids that we want them to have. Yes, because, of course, when you take when you start doing all these things, when the habits, so we're talking about uh, more movement, uh, healthier eating and all that sort of stuff, I, I always say, with regards to weight management for kids, I always say, if, if your six-year-old is obese, that's fine. You change the habits, and before you know it, you'll have a healthy eight-year-old. It's not about it's not about putting them on the scales and losing weight. It's about having them grow into their body, right? Yes. So, so one of my kid, one of my clients has has he himself used to be when he started with me, he was, he was four hundred pounds. That is, and we estimate the four hundred pounds because apparently. Scales at home stop working at 400 pounds in the UK. They just go, you get the error message flashes up. Uh, that's 180 kg for people using new money uh, measurements. So he was 400 pounds. And you can imagine as a nine-year-old, nine-year-old isn't going to be skinny, right? If your dad is 400 pounds as a nine-year-old, you're going to have picked up the same eating habits and all that sort of stuff. So when he started losing weight, like I said, and he was like, oh, my kid also needs to lose weight. And now your kid needs to grow into his body much more so yes you yourself can lose a couple of stone or or in this case a, a fair bit of weight 
but your child doesn't need to lose weight as much as he just needs to slowly but surely stay the same weight and then become a healthy 12-year-old. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And as long as kids are still growing and, you know, yeah. and that changes, of course, after they go through puberty and they're not sure. they're not growing in, in that, developing in that way anymore. Um, but still, even at that point, even if you had, for example, if you have a teenager, a young teenager girl, say she's 16, 17, 18, she's done with mm-hmm. puberty. And it, I this approach to helping your child will still help you know with that girl with your child if you change as the parent Mm -hmm. and you start to get more exercise you start to prioritize your own nutrition you don't have to make her change or do anything different by you changing it will help her for sure Mm -hmm. for sure and how you change things at home you know oh yeah absolutely like i said i'm a big fan of the monkey see monkey do Mm. approach and and you know as much as kids rebel against their parents especially when we're talking teenagers and all that sort of stuff uh at least 12 12 year old onwards uh it all starts to go horribly wrong for quite a few years and but if you they still they will still copy you in the long run right yes. with, with regards to those those behaviors yeah, you're still they, ingraining them. they love you and they worship you frankly you know kids even though they might not tell you that they're watching everything you do and this is why it's so important like with our own phones or our own screen time mm. that's why that's why we are so powerful and we have such a um a crucial role that we can play i think a lot of parents feel so uh powerless to help their mm. child because they can't quote get their child to do things yeah yeah oh, That's, yeah. But yeah yes of course we can't yeah. kids have their own agency just like you and I have we have our own agency no one can make me do something I don't want to do and that's fine mm. but as parents if we change we will help our kids change yeah no that sounds like a completely different approach and a much healthier approach <laughs> People don't mind me saying, from the ones that most um, health professionals have, because they are very much focused on treating the patient, rather, so to speak, right? Treat the patient rather than treat the environment. Yeah. Um, And like you said, especially when it comes to kids, treating the environment is uh, is probably the easier. Is yeah, that has a much more profound impact than than just changing the behaviors temporarily, especially of, of, of the child and all that sort of thing. Yes, for sure. Yeah. Even if you have a child with anxiety, for example, mm-hmm. um, you know, there's a program, uh, Yale university, there's a, a PhD um, guy down there who has a program for parents. Mm-hmm. The parents learn what to do and how to, kind of modify their own behaviors and he is getting excellent results the same as if your Mm. child went on medication or if your child you know your child's in therapy but your child doesn't have to even be involved so the parents are changing when parents are willing to and not in not in a way like oh you've messed this up and now you've Mm. got to change and this is your fault and so bad you know no that's not it at all it is like you know, 
okay, when you know a little better, you do a little better, you know, something different, you do something different. Okay. So now that you know that you, if you could change and help your child, I mean, what a win-win. Oh yeah, absolutely. Because a a lot of this stuff is like you said, when it comes to anxiety and all that sort of stuff, it is, um, her, her, her hereditary almost. It, it's, we, we, we know from studies that anxiety passes down the generations. And, you know, some, I mean, I know some, some Americans are much more like that and Irish are like, I can't look at, you know, Irish descendants. I'm stressed out about potatoes and you pass that through and all of a sudden. I'm not talking about that type of hereditary sort of thing. But just if your parents suffer from anxiety, then you are much more likely to suffer from anxiety as well because you've been raised in that environment. Um, yeah, you know, there's so yeah, we don't know exactly what causes it all the time, but yeah. I think the big thing is if you have parents who don't know how to manage their anxiety, yeah. they don't know where their anxiety is coming from, and frankly, their anxiety makes them anxious, mm-hmm. which is what I saw in my clinic all the time. And then when a child has normal anxious feelings like look i mean like we've been talking about mm-hmm. anxiety has kept us alive as a species for yeah. you know we have to tolerate some of that it's it's normal for us um but when a child becomes anxious about their own anxiety or certainly when a parent becomes anxious about their child's anxiety things start to um, worsen and you know mm. the, the child is more affected but if you grow up in a household with someone who even can say yes I have anxiety and I have a toolkit mm-hmm. and some skills that I know how to mostly manage my anxiety you know on a on a day-to-day level and they're actively working on that so that that is that and then your child would see a mom or a dad as a person who has anxiety but also as a person who, is actively working on control, mm-hmm. you know, managing it and has the tools and the skills they need to keep going and, you know, keep living their life. Yeah. And uh, I, I suppose the same goes for like sleep management and all that sort of stuff. Doesn't it, 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 you can, you can transfer this, this skill set, which was once you pick it up, of course, um, yes. you can transfer it to every single thing that you're looking to improve. And let's be honest, most of us can improve our sleeping habits just a little bit these days. Yeah. I mean, sleep is so profoundly important. And that was, Mm -hmm. as a doctor, I mean, we don't, you know, I guess depending on the kind of doctor you are, but, you know, for a long time, I did not get, you know, certainly in my training Mm -hmm. when I was in medical school and residency, my sleep was terrible. And then I had a job as a pediatric hospitalist. So I was taking care of a lot of babies, uh, you know, going to deliveries, um, and and I was doing shift work. So I was awake all night long, Mm -hmm. you know, eight to 10 nights a month. Mm -hmm. And anyways, my sleep was a disaster. um, And that certainly affects our weight and our the, our food choices and mm-hmm. our hunger. So, you know, if parents can really, um, to me, sleep is kind of low hanging fruit, although I, it is harder with teenagers who have their own phone. Yeah, uh, but if you can set some boundaries around where you keep your phone, what time the phone goes off and improve your child's sleep and get the right number of hours of sleep, like 
your child's mood is going to be better, their ability to think, their ability to make food choices, more energy. I mean, sleep is, I love sleep is the most important, <laughs> one of the most important, uh, you know, health things that we never talk about, um, um, honestly, you know, sleep is so boring for people. Mm -hmm. some, some people say it's so boring. I'm like, well, I don't know what to say about that. <laughs> no, but uh, the, no, you, but you're bang on. It, 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 it is very low hanging fruit. It's, it's, yeah, it's, it's it one of the. Like it should be low hanging yeah, fruit. It, it's, yeah, it's, it's, it's the easiest thing, other than maybe for teenagers. But then again, you're talking sleeping patterns and all that. And yeah. I, I remember when I was a teenager, I could stay up till two at night very easily and not come out of bed until 10, 11, 12 in the morning. And that was not because I was lazy, and it wasn't because I went to bed too late. It was just your brain chemistry is completely yep. different as a teenager. And, you know, school should almost reflect this, right? School oh, my for, God, it would be so wonderful if school started at noon. Yeah, for, 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 yeah. yeah. as soon as you're 14 yeah. years old, you go to school at noon and you finish at yeah. 8 or whatever. Yeah. Uh, and I understand why we can't do it, but fundamentally mm – -hmm. Your 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 circadian rhythm is completely different when you're a teenager because there's just too much stuff happening. But other than those difficult years, sleep is actually for adults and for younger children, unless you're really, really young, it's a fairly easy fix in, in most cases. You know, and 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 the solutions are tend to be the same. Exactly like what you said. You eat a bit better, you know, fewer processed foods, fewer sugars. High fat, high uh, the, all that high fructose corn syrup that needs to go a little bit because that messes up your sleep. Not too much screen time, plenty outdoor air if if you can get it, and you know plenty movement and and sleep automatically improves. And again, it's all the it's 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 that four pillars or that five pillars book, isn't it? No. I mean, it's it's, yeah. it's they're not that <laughs> different. Your your gang, like new moms, or you know, I remember when I was had my son, and finally he goes to bed, and I have a free moment. You know, it's like ten, whatever. I don't know what time he would go to bed, but yeah. you know, when he was a baby, and I would just feel like, well, I need some time for myself, mm -hmm. and I would watch TV or I'd watch Netflix or sports or something, because I didn't know back then. I would have been much better served to just go to bed. Yeah. I mean, I think I kind of knew in the back of my mind, but I never made myself do it. I thought like, oh, I'll just relax. I need to relax and I'll watch yeah. TV. But whoa, the benefits of going to sleep instead of watching Netflix or watching TV, they're, they're just, they're so hard to describe how good you would feel the next day physically and emotionally. Yes, and, and that comes especially early postpartum. That comes down to things. I did an interview with Crystal Lau, Dr. Dr. Crystal Lau on the 28th of May, I think that came out. And it was about postpartum recovery uh, and uh, Sao Yezu. So it's a Chinese habit of sitting a month and lots of countries do this, where in the first 30 days or 60 days, however long you can afford to do it, you don't do anything other than bond with your baby and sleep and all that sort of thing. So someone else does all the housework. Someone else does all the cooking. Someone else steps up. And because what I find with when I talk to a lot of, uh, especially new moms, um, is that when the child, they're waiting for the baby to go to sleep so they can do the laundry or they can do the washing up or they can do the cleaning of the house. And that, yeah, but 
in an ideal world, and, and therefore, towards the end of the day, they're exactly what you say. The baby goes to sleep at night, seven o'clock. Oh, I can finally watch some telly now because I can finally switch off. Whereas in an ideal world, you have those moments during the day. So by the, the time seven o'clock at night comes, you're not as stressed out anymore about having had essentially a 14-hour shift of right. having a household, running a household. Sometimes, you know, because if you're American, you have to go back to work way too soon and all that sort of stuff after after giving birth. And on top of that, you have, so of course you're then going to be... No one's coming over to do your laundry. <laughs> no, <laughs> you know, we, but, our but, culture is just, we don't have that. People, yeah. you know, you are on your, you know, we mm -hmm. we prioritize individuality or yeah. whatever, but it's not, it's it's hasn't been how humans have evolved over time for sure. Yeah. And we think it's normal. We think it's okay, but it's actually hard. It's, it's not great for our health. So, you know... Yeah, I think just yeah. being aware of all of these things and try, you know, making making some choices and prior getting your priorities, you know, in line. Yeah, no, exactly. It's like you said, a lot of small changes will have a profound impact, right? It's yeah. not, it's not about getting everything right all the time. It's not about I either get it right or I don't need to bother at all, or my child won't eat all the spinach off the plate. Therefore, I will never give him spinach again. Right, it's it's all slowly, slowly catchy monkey, and just nice. Um, sorry, Progress, no per not perfection, right? Like just yes, exactly drop, drop the perfectionism, and that's what we need to do as adults, especially when we're thinking of our own health habits and our own weight management. You know, well, if I can't, you know, sometimes people are like, well, I can't go to the gym, you know. Mm. I usually go Monday and Wednesday, but I can't go this week. So forget it. I'm just not going to do, you know, yeah. or I don't have two hours to go work out, but you do, you do probably have 15 minutes. You could walk mm -hmm. around the block or you could take a short walk or, you know, I think we get so black and white about what we need to do. And if I can't do it perfectly, we feel bad about that for some mm -hmm. reason. And I think we train our kids to be that same way. And we could really just be like, any little bit you do is awesome, you know? Yeah. No, absolutely. So, okay. So my last last question, because I think this is an important one, because this is the one that I always get. How long before parents will start to see results from all this sort of stuff? So say someone comes to you and says, okay, uh, can I work with you? Or, or, they, or they get some help somewhere else. How long before these choices start to stick? Do you think do you know that uh, results for the parents and the kids? Yeah. So, so what we're talking about are multiple different points: sure. results for the parents versus results for the kids. And it would really depend on what you're talking about as a result. If you're looking for the number to change on the scale versus the health habit to change. Mm -hmm. but, frankly, when I work with my clients, the biggest result is within you know one or two sessions because the first thing we start with is um the parent i want the parent to work on accepting the child well accepting themselves and accepting the child and just as they are right now mm -hmm. and starting from this place of like you are a hundred percent worthy we're not changing 
We're not trying to get you to lose weight so that you're more valuable or more mm. acceptable or anything like that. You That cup is already filled up and we can't even add another drop of yeah. perfection to your cup. Okay. Yeah. So I think sometimes that's a relief for parents and that then, you know, then you have a parent who is showing up from their child, showing up for their child, looking at their child through eyes of acceptance and love and respect mm -hmm. and that the child can feel that and that you know versus like we got to change because we are messing this up and yeah. things are going bad for us you know like that's mm -hmm. not good for a child you know so i think parents can things can change very quickly so that would be more like a feeling kind of a touchy-feely yeah. kind of thing but you know honestly if my recommendation to parents, and this is, is for the, before you change your child's diet, you change your own diet. You mm -hmm. give up flour and sugar and go off of flour and sugar. And the whole point of doing that, not that you have to stay that way for the rest of your life. This is just a, you know, you could do it for a few weeks, a month, whatever. And you see how good you feel. You see the changes in your own body and you understand how your hunger kind of resets your, I say like reset to factory settings, like, you know, um, <laughs> resets your natural hunger hormones. We balance your hunger hormones as the adult. Once you're bought into like how good you feel, then it'll be easier for you to be committed to helping your child make some of the same changes. I never recommend really that parents make their children or go completely sugar free or, mm -hmm. you know, that that's, I mean, you could, a lot of parents do do that. Not necessarily with me, but I know, you know, I have, my son has friends who uh, parents won't let them eat cupcakes or won't mm -hmm. let them eat certain things. And this is where it gets individual for every single family. Yeah. But I think parents can start to see changes very, very quickly. Um, and, and that will, that will positively translate number one keep them going because this is a long game this is not like you know 30 day 30 days and we're done you know yeah. this is the long game so any little you know positive forward motion progress not perfection parents keep going and your child will benefit from that well there you go see people it's it's that straightforward just work with the right people and, and do the right things and sooner or later you'll get well, it there. is kind of like advice that our grandmothers would give us right our, oh yeah yeah, oh, the, yeah. None, none of this stuff and this is what i've said i'm like 200 episodes in of, of 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 this podcast none of this stuff i have said myself and a lot of my expert guests have said is has been rocket science right that and and that is quite often the thing is we know most things already deep down we know most things we just and i'm not talking about like how to fix a car but i know that if my car starts making funny noises i know something probably isn't right and after a couple of months i can get used to my car making a certain noise and i can tell my car tell myself that that car has always made that noise but deep down i kind of know that when the mechanic tells me Hey, dude, your car is making a noise. You could probably get that fixed. It doesn't come as a complete and utter shock to me. And I find it's that way with food and with weight and with sleep habits for most people. Um, 
And I find that's the way it is with whether you're talking household toxins and all that sort of stuff. We know bleach isn't good for us. We know standing in a room where we use bleach all the time is probably not going to be beneficial to our health, that sort of stuff. Um, We just are very much conditioned and told to ignore quite a lot of things. Yeah, And And that is the problem. And we're not taught the skills of how to manage our discomfort when, Mm. you know, when your brain is saying, you know what, just have a pizza. Just go get pizza, be easier, be quicker for dinner. Everybody Mm -hmm. likes it. We'll all eat it versus, you know, oh, I pre-planned making this, Mm -hmm. you know, chicken, whatever, big chicken. I don't know. Um, We don't really have, we're not taught the skill set of how do we actually manage that uncomfortable feeling of not giving in to what we want Mm. you know the extra drink the extra cookies the extra desserts i don't expect kids to know how to do that and frankly i didn't know how to do that until someone explicitly taught me and so that's my hope like if i could have learned this 40 years ago then that would have been a huge gift you know so if I can teach parents that skill and then they can teach it to their kids early, whoa, your kid's life is going to open up and they're going to experience a lot of freedom around things that they they won't feel controlled by food. They won't feel controlled by alcohol. They won't feel controlled by their screen. They'll really understand it and they'll have the skill sets to manage their feelings. Yeah, because that is and that comes Back to when I talk to any sort of parenting expert or anything like that, it always comes down to the same thing. Your job as a parent is fundamentally to raise, to create a fairly well-rounded adult person who can live their life in the best way that they can possibly be, in the best health, the best mental mindset, and all that sort of stuff. Right? We're not trying to raise little sociopaths and all that sort of stuff. That's that's usually <laughs> what what I'm saying. Um, and it's not necessarily easy, but there, and there are many ways to do that sort of thing. But fundamentally, the child, all the studies are very, very clear. And you'll know this better than I do. But I saw a study somewhere that if you are, if a child is obese, by the time they are nine years old, they are 75 to 80% likely to be an obese adult as well. But especially if there's no intervention at all, as in it's really difficult to learn to acquire these skills as an adult if your whole childhood has been uh, that that skill has not been mentioned, that skill has not been not been taught. A lot of this stuff is is really difficult to pick up by the time you're twenty eight, twenty nine, thirty years. Yeah, old. you'd have to actively seek those skills yeah. out. The problem is, I think most people don't know. They don't know they need that. They don't yeah. know it's available. They don't. It's kind of like you don't know what you don't know. So mm-hmm. you try the same old. Okay, I'm going to try to, you know, cut my yeah. calories and yeah, you, know, you go back to Weight Watchers and all those. Yeah, things and it, of course that doesn't work over the long term. Yeah. So that's you know that's part of my mission or my what I feel so strongly is um, if I can help parents know what to do because they have the mature mm-hmm. brain. They can handle all the information. They have years and years and years with their kid as their kid ages on that long runway to take off into adulthood. Over time, their child will absorb all of that information and, you know, launch into adulthood. No, already knowing all of this stuff. Mm. 
Yeah, it's no, absolutely. So absolutely. I think it's an absolute no-brainer. Uh, on that happy note, was there anything else you wanted to touch on? Because we covered quite a lot of stuff. No, thanks. Thanks for having me. Thanks for having me on your no. show. I appreciate it. You're very, very welcome. So on that happy note, I'll press stop record here. And of course, press stop record is exactly what I did. Uh, thanks very much to uh, Dr. Carol for coming on. I, I love that conversation. It just makes so much sense to me to get the parents involved more and the child involved less when it comes to changing behaviors and leading by example. I always say monkey see, monkey do, because uh, it really, really works. Um, nice little freebie for everybody listening. If you go to the link in the podcast description, you can schedule a free 30-minute strategy session with Dr. Carroll on that calls you work with the parents or with you to identify one problem you're, that, you are, uh, that you're facing in trying to help your child and together you work on solving it by gaining clarity for the next few steps and all that sort of stuff. Uh, so definitely take her up on that offer, right? And uh, that's pretty good going. Um, also a little reminder, the HPMB now only has five billing cycles. So you get your three months completely free access, no obligation. You can cancel at any stage, you know, cancel on day one, as I always say, and you'll still get three months completely free access. But if you want to do the rest of the program uh, and focus on different parts of your body or specific parts of your body, you know, now after um, after only five months of paying $10 a month for eight pounds a month, you get free lifetime access. So like I said last week, sign up for your fir- after your first child, use the program, you use your recover, get back to full fitness, you get ripped, you can do whatever you want, you're fit as a fiddle, and you fall pregnant again, that's okay. You still have HPMB access, so you can go back to that. Uh, postpartum with your second or your third, or even during the pregnancy. And of course, that also means that you get free lifetime access to me, to little old me, you can just send me emails and as long as HPMB is kicking around, I will respond to the emails as long as I'm alive. I will respond to all your questions. And, you know, you know that expert guidance is always out there. That's all I'm saying. Right, that's it for this week because that's been just over an hour. New bit of music. You take care of yourself and I'm back next week. Right, bye now. When it's over, you love-